Uh, last week we were in First Thessalonians. We've been in First Thessalonians the last couple weeks. And Pastor Bob spoke last week about how Paul was to the Thessalonians as a mother in that he was an example to them of selflessness. Uh, he was an example to them displaying sacrificial love, putting his own rights aside for their betterment. Um, we learned that Paul was as a father to him in his influence, in pleading with, encouraging, urging the Thessalonian church on uh, to live rightly. The Thessalonians accepted Paul's teaching not as man-made philosophies or self-help or feel-good theories, but rather as the truth, the word of God. And because they believed, God's word was alive and active in the Thessalonian church. And God's word is active and alive in you yeah. if you believe in Jesus. That's right. It's working. Yeah. It's working even when I can't see it, even when I can't feel it. We're just saying that. He's working in us. Let us persevere in faith. Let us embrace that fact. Today we pick up in the very next verse, 1 Thessalonians 2, 14. And on the back of your newsletter, um, there's no fill in the blanks. You guys, it's all on you today. It's on you. Uh, to follow along, to write down that which the Spirit impresses upon your heart as we walk through these upcoming passages. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 14. We read, and I also am throwing you off, uh, usually we hang out in the New Living Testament, and for some reason I went with New King James this go-around. So here we go, ready? For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. And having persecuted us, they do not please God. And are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. Dear God, we know that you are looking for faith in us today. And we want to approach your word with faith today. Again, you're the potter, we're the clay. So form us today according to your desires as you see best. Amen. Verse 14, we'll see how much time we have and we'll, we'll do what we can today. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. Say imitators. imitators. Say imitators. imitators. We were at Yellowstone Lake Wednesday morning, our family, and just spent a couple hours there and came right back. Uh, in the morning on Wednesday, it was a hot day, 90 degrees, and we were out swimming, and it was beautiful. And, uh, and so at one point, I start taking the kids and heaving them as high as I can into the air, and, and they come down splashing, and then I look at my three-year-old daughter, and I say, do you want to get thrown up in the air? And she said, no, and backed up. And I said, what if, I just, what if we just do a little one, a little one? And she's looking at me, can she trust Dad? And nervously she says, 
She kind of goes like that and smiles. And so we come up and we do the little one. We say, ready? They go, whoa, shh. Oh, my word. It was scary, but it was also thrilling. And, and she bursts out. She's laughing. She's scared, but thinks it's fun. So we do two of those, and then she looks at me and she goes, do you want to go? <laughs> and, and I wasn't quite sure what she, I thought, what, what'd you say? She goes, do you want me to throw you up? And so I said, yes. <laughs> so she puts two little arms on my arm here and she lifts with all of her might. And so I do a big jump and a big splash and, um, and it's a riot. It's fun to watch young children imitate their, their fathers or their mothers or their older siblings. And um, growing up, we look for people to imitate. And hopefully it's the right type of role models that we gravitate to and that we copy. And in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says, he's writing to the Corinthian church, and he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He was living the life. He was living worthy of the calling. He'd received free grace, free mercy, nothing of his own doing. But experiencing that, he wanted to, he desired to live to please the Lord. And he was doing so in such a manner that he felt comfortable in telling people, model me as I model Christ. Christ is at work in me through his spirit. And you watch me if you want an example of a mature Christian, of how we are to live and how we are to be in God's kingdom. And so here... um, in verse 14, Paul is saying to the church of, uh, that the church of Thessalonica has become imitators of the churches in Judea, the first Christian churches, in that they stood true through persecution. They upheld the gospel and God's kingdom ways, and their convictions sustained them. It says that they, he says, they, you suffered in the same ways. What ways were those? What type of suffering? Well, the first church and even the the first 12 disciples experienced flogging and imprisonment. Uh, Stephen had been stoned to death. And right after uh, Stephen had been stoned, actually when Stephen was being stoned, the letter of Thessalonians, Paul, who we're reading today, his name prior to Paul, he had a name change when he got saved, when he put his faith in Christ. He was a persecutor of the church. His name was Saul. And it said that men, they, they stoned uh, Stephen and, and Saul gave his consent and they laid their coats, the guys that were going to start throwing, they take off their, their coats so they, can, so they can throw without hindrance of their garment at the feet of Saul. So Saul's watching their gar- garments for him, making sure nobody takes them. And he casts his lot for Stephen to be stoned. Look at Acts 8, 1 through 3. On that day... A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. So that's what they were enduring, and they were doing so. um, Their faith was alive. They were still standing, the Thessalonian church. What type of sufferings are Christians in the United States facing right now? I haven't seen it to that level, but there's labels, there's lies, accusations, framing, defamation. Um, Christian businesses are targeted. 
Christian schools. People are calling good bad and bad good. Let's move on. Verse 15, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they do not please God and are contrary to all men. The Judeans, which were persecuting the first Christians, are of the same character uh, which killed the Lord Jesus, the prophets who came before, and the countrymen of um, the Thessalonians were actually Jewish leaders or Pharisees, if you will, that were anti-Christian that had come up to their community to try to undermine Paul's message to them. It's, the verse here states, they do not please God. Who then do they please? Jesus, in John eight forty four, in confronting the Pharisees, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own resources, for he is the liar and the father of it, the father of lies. As believers in Jesus, we're to learn as we go along what pleases the Lord. And pleasing the Lord can um, encompass a host of things, but always honesty, trust, obedience. Here's a, here's a picture of those who do not please God. Romans 1, 29 through 32. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boastful, look at this, inventors of evil things. Not only not pleasing God, but they are looking for, they're inventing evil things. Disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. They do not please God. These types of people do not please God. They are contrary to all men. What does that mean? that they're contrary to all men. What about people like them? They're not contrary to them, right? Yes, they are. They're contrary to themselves. How? They're hurting all mankind. They're hurting unbelievers in that they're uh, preventing the gospel and preventing truth from being seen or understood. They're, they're um, uh, persecuting Christians. Uh, even themselves, they hurt themselves by the decisions that they make and in their rebellion and their resistance. They're digging themselves a hole. And then they're like the blind leading the blind. Sometimes they're of the self-righteous religious type that burdens others down with man-made laws that no one can uphold. Sometimes they're intentionally causing the weak and the gullible to stumble, taking advantage of people, weak-minded people. In whatever pretense they present themselves as, this class of unbelievers, we're talking about a class of unbelievers that aren't just unbelieving, or unpersuaded, but they're haughtily and adamantly against God. They're at war with God, against the gospel, persecuting Christians, preventing the message of salvation from being proclaimed or understood correctly, willfully defiant and hostile against God, Jesus, the church. 
Wolves in sheepskin sometimes. Have you bumped into people like that? Can you identify those people? Paul's talking about these people. And he says in verse 16, they're forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Um, sometimes you guys wonder, how did Travis get such big muscles? And when you wonder that, I would say, um, we go to Snap Fitness in the mornings, and we get our little workout in, and, and Cassie, at, at Snap Fitness, they have a little bookshelf that has all of these, um, people are free to bring in books that they want, a little one-shelf library, if you will, and people can borrow books. And so Cassie brought this one in, and set this one on um, the bookshelf. And the next day we came and it was gone and we were like, sweet, someone's, someone's reading the book. And then we walked by the trash can and, oh, it's in the trash can. And so we pulled it out of the trash can, it was clean, it was fine. Set it back on the shelf the next day in the trash can. And we don't think it's the owners, but someone that's there um, is preventing freedom of speech, right? We're not allowed to share our message about Jesus. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the other, uttermost. Something to think about, um, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is asking God to remove a thorn in his flesh, and he says three times I asked of God to remove that thorn, and, uh, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Um, there's a lot of interpretations as to what, what that means, what was that thorn in the flesh, and different scholars have had different ideas, and, and I've always had one thought until recently, and, um, and, and Lawrence and a couple other guys uh, that I know uh, alerted me to some, another possibility, which I'm now uh, leaning towards. And it's this, um, the persecuting Jews were always twisting his words, they were always undermining his message, and when Paul uses the phrase, thorn in my flesh, remember Paul, Saul, Paul, is an Old Testament scholar himself. That's what he is. Every time that that phrase, thorn in the flesh, is used in the Old Testament, it's signifying the surrounding nations of Israel being a thorn in the side of the Israelites. Being a nuisance to them and, um, and a harming them, a hindrance to the nation of Israel. And numerous references there. And so, food for thought. Um, these people were definitely a thorn in, regardless if that's the correct interpretation, they were a thorn in the side of Paul and the, the Thessalonians. Fill up the measure of their sins. What does that mean? Well, immediately I think of, of our pool in the backyard. We got, we got a pool handed to us down from generations, and the thing's still standing. I don't know how it's, it's the little... Um, uh, we do you have the pool? I, that's not the pool. That's not our pool either. That's a nice. That's my pool. Um, no, we have the Intex one that you set up with poles, and and so I put the hose in at night or in the morning, and and then I go out at lunchtime to turn it off. But there's only that much water in the pool, and so then I wait and I wait till evening, and then and then I forget to turn it off, and I wake up in the morning and I'm like, uh oh. Uh-oh, I left the whole, I go out, it's only half full. 
takes forever to fill. But you eventually see this pool filling and filling and filling with water. And Paul's saying, these types of people, the measure of their sins is filling up. It is filling up. There is a time when it will be full. God gives lots of, gives people grace and patience and time to turn to him, to recognize the truth. Filling up the measure of their sins. Think about a criminal's rap sheet, their records, and they keep breaking the law in various ways and their record gets longer and longer and longer. Think about the book in Revelations. It says, at the judgment seat, uh, the white throne judgment, it says the books will be opened and people will be judged according to what they did on earth. Filling up the measure of their sins, always obscuring the good, always approving the wrong, shutting the door of heaven on anyone who attempts to enter. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 15, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel the land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice, the, twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. Filling up the measure of their sins. We continue. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Why is that in past tense? Wrath has come upon them? No, it's going to come upon them, right? It says it has come upon them. That was, that was weird when I first read that. I thought, I don't understand that. Similarly, in, in Romans 1.18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. possibility may be that the wrath has come, the wrath is revealed in the sense that it is inevitable. It's an abiding sentence hanging over their head, already assigned, already anticipated. Hebrews 10.26 For if we sin willfully if we sin willfully, that sin is talking about not just any sin, that sin's talking about, if you read in context, it's about rejecting Christ. If you reject the mercies and the forgiveness of God, if you reject, it says, if we sin willfully, after we've received knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. It's like a criminal who's already been sentenced to death, and he's awaiting the death penalty. He's sitting and he's waiting. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he will certainly too see that, um, uh, see to their just punishment. How about this? Romans 2, 5 through 11. But in accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who, by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Red, yellow, black, or right, white, rich or poor, God is looking at the heart 
and his desire is that all people be saved and receive his mercies and grace if they will yet uh, acknowledge their sin and put their faith in him and in his Christ. Will not the God of all the earth do what is right? Will he not know to what extent or for what duration each individual ought to be punished? Look at Luke uh, 12, verse 47, 48. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself to do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. One more. John 3, 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Let me tangent for one moment. It is appointed unto people once to die and then the judgment. And when the judgment is pronounced, its end is irreversible. If you have not been honest with God and if you've been resisting his authority, will you stop today? Instead of trying to live your own life or justify your behavior, will you receive the forgiveness and the new nature that God desires to give you? His plan from the beginning of creation was to make himself known through a mediator God's plan was to interface with the world through the person of Jesus Christ. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Jesus laid down his life for you to appease the righteous judgment that was to befall you. I implore you to make Christ the king of your life today and experience the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And you can do that right now by admitting your sinful nature and placing your faith in his Christ. Or you can refuse his spirit and you can recognize that God's perfect wrath abides on you. His perfect and good wrath abides upon you in the present. That's an important tangent that we make today. Because that's something we all must answer for ourselves and come to terms with and come to grips with. The perfect God will punish sinners, but his desire is to save all who will call upon his name. Call upon his name today. Give your life to God. Say, Lord, I am yours. I am sorry, and I thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I'm yours. Lord, have your way in my life. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the new desires, the new thoughts, the new strengths, the new passions, the new mission for life that you have for me, that you created me for. I want to be that person you created me to be. Fulfill those things. And to hear your voice say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into, your, into the kingdom. Into the rest. So church, there will always be those who attempt to hinder us in living for Jesus and in being effective ambassadors. Don't be discouraged. We will not be confused. Evil people will be judged severely. Keep your eyes on Jesus and your hand to the plow because he's the great rewarder. Verse 17, it says, But we, brethren, 
having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. So Paul uh, had been taken away from the Thessalonians for a short time, bodily, physically, but not in heart. He's thinking about them every day. The word taken away, um, this is what it is in, in the Greek. It's... Uh, um, And now I'm going to have to pronounce it, huh? <laughs> Aporphenizo. That's it. And that's where we get our word orphan from. So he had to leave them as orphans. He was taken away from them. And um, think about that. Uh, if you're a mom or a dad and have ever had to leave your child in a precarious or vulnerable position, your concern is for them. And maybe it's the first day they go to school, or maybe it's when they go to college and you are concerned about their ability to, to uh, have wisdom and discipline and, and uh, confidence and, and so forth. Um, those are some of the feelings that Paul is having. Uh, in Acts 17, the jealous Jews were stirring up mobs against Paul. His life was in danger in Thessalonica. The believers in Thessalonica told him, leave, get out of here, they're going to they're gonna kill you, you need to go. Paul goes to Berea and starts spreading the gospel in Berea. When the Jews that had visited and undermined Paul's word and were seeking to kill him in Thessalonica caught wind that he was in Berea, they chase him, they go to Berea and start stirring up mobs there. Stirring up mobs and crowds against him. They had no case against Paul, they couldn't legally arrest him, he had done nothing wrong, but they used lies and, um, and twisted things to work up the population in those areas. He was taken away, but not in heart. Uh, what was going through Paul's mind? He's probably thinking, those wolves in sheepskins are there. They're going to undermine my message. Are the Thessalonians going to be able to stand? What if, they are, uh, what if they hear false truths? What if they're persecuted? What if they lose their jobs? What if they're offered promotions or opportunities for wealth? Are they going to compromise on their faith or modify their faith? Or are they going to stick to the truth that can save their soul? What if they're distracted by the cares or concerns or the riches of this world? Paul was away from them in body, but not in thought, and he prayed for them daily. Church, it's good for us, especially during times when the church is shut down or people are in quarantine, if we're away from each other physically, that we are not away from each other in heart, and that our heart and our prayers go out to one another, and we stay connected in that manner. There's, um, I've some, how do I pray for people? I have a hard time praying to begin with. How do I pray for other people? What does that look like? Uh, you might want to write down first or Colossians 1, 9 through 13. That'll be of help to you, help to me in praying for one another. Something we can do this week is look at that prayer and model it. Colossians 1, 9 through 13, praying for others, praying for one another, praying for Pastor Bob. In Hebrews 13, 3, Paul is the writer of Hebrews, many think it is Paul, uh, we read, remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. 
to remember them. We have um, a girl that's part of the 20-somethings group or takes part in some of those activities, actually uh, is, attends Grace Church in New Glarus, our uh, church we're in great relationships with. And her name's Electa, and she's in Africa right now, and they have no running water. You dig a hole when you have to go to the bathroom. There's no TP. And she's there spreading the gospel and working. And let's remember her and pray for her. Verse 18, as we continue, Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul couldn't stand not being with the kids through their difficulties and their trying circumstances. We wanted to come to you, even though Paul was chased out of town and people were trying to kill him, uh, he wanted so badly to come back. He often made plans to, but it says Satan had hindered. That word hindered means forbid, to cut off opportunity, to impede, to prevent. And we ask ourselves, wait a minute, how does Satan have, does Satan have ability or authority to hinder us? If we're in Christ, do we not have authority over Satan? And we do. We do. We have authority over Satan, and, and scriptures tell us that we do. He cannot attack us directly. It's impossible for him, if we are standing in Christ, he cannot attack us directly. What he has to do is he can use lies. He's the father of lies, we read in scripture. He can whisper untruths to us, right? Uh, fear, trickery, distractions, temptations can set before us. Condemnation, he can make us feel He's the, he, uh, scripture says he's the accuser of the brethren. He can shame us. He can say, God won't forgive you. Lies and condemnation. He can use his people to oppress, to tempt, to distract, to persecute God's people. Check out this verse. If you're a believer in Christ, what spirit is in you? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is in you and gives you thoughts and passions and energy for the kingdom, God's kingdom. If you are not of God, and you are not a believer in Christ, what spirit influences you? Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you, God made alive, who were dead in, trespass, in, in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And so there you go. Satan can't uh, stop you directly, but his people will persecute the people of God, will attempt to. And he will use lies and distractions and temptations to try to get our eyes off of Christ, right? To keep us from walking by the Spirit. In Paul's situation, probably the ongoing eminent threat uh, of persecution, his life being endangered, is what prohibited him from going to the Thessalonians. He'd be about to go and they'd give word to him, don't go, Paul, they're still waiting, they're here, they're planning to murder you. And a month ago by, he plans to go visit them. They're like, no, Paul, don't come to us, not yet could well be what was happening there. 
powerful observation, though, is that God can use what Satan meant for bad. God can turn it for good. And why do we have First Thess- Why are we studying First Thessalonians right now? It's because that letter was written. If Paul had gone, he wouldn't have written this letter to the Thessalonians. But now millions and billions of people have um, benefited from hearing Paul's instruction. God doing cool things all the time. Verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? Paul is asking, what is my purpose and goal, fulfillment in life? What am I exerting strength toward? To what end? And it was to see them presented or see them in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that is coming. Since Paul was an imitator of Christ, his mission and his goal was very much the same as Christ. And Jesus, what was the joy of Jesus? It was to do the will of his Father. It was to reconcile people to God by defeating sin, by defeating death. And here in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And Paul likewise, he was like, I will endure persecution and hardship. And the reason I'm doing it, the joy set before me is you guys. That's the joy set before me, Thessalonians. Church, making, make the saving and the strengthening and the keeping of others your highest goal on earth, your highest earthly goal. That is why we remain on earth once we place our faith in Christ. It'd be nice if God took us straight out, but he leaves us here because of John 17. John 17, 15 through 18. I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the, from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. We get to lead people to Jesus. We get to strengthen people, help them get ever stronger in their faith. We get to equip people for the good works that God has for them to do. Two words that are good to keep in our minds. We are to save and keep. That's kind of our goal is to save. God does the saving, but, but we spread the gospel and we strengthen, right? Save and keep. Here's a question. In the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, what would that be like for Paul to see them united with Christ at his coming? He would say, what an awesome thing God did through me that all these people should inherit eternal life. It was so worth it to let the Holy Spirit live through me. It was so worth it. What will Jesus do at his coming? He's going to come in glory. He's going to give us new glorified bodies. He's going to reward his faithful children, bring the fullness of the inheritance, bring justice, bring judgment to the wicked. What could you do on earth that would bring more joy or be of more valuable than helping people be reconciled to their creator. Earthly possession and power and promotions and money and status and health and popularity will matter nothing on that day, but seeing fellow believers that you supported in the faith will be priceless. Man, that will be cool. 
you see someone there in heaven and you're like, oh, my word. I, God told me at one point to encourage them in this manner. And here they are. They are here in heaven. Oh, shouts of joy erupting from our hearts. C.T. Studd, who gave up, he is a very rich man, gave all his money away to go into missions. And he said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so this week as we go out, you know, is there a, um, is there a YouTube song that you could send somebody? Is there a, a verse or maybe there's a phone call you could make this week to help someone know Christ or grow in their faith? Is there a senior citizen you could sit with for a little bit? Uh, teaching children, parenting is so valuable. Wow. Not to waste the precious opportunities afforded to us to make a difference, following the promptings of the Holy Spirit in the moment. And last verse is this, for you are our glory and joy. People matter to God, and those people matter to Paul so much. He was so encouraged, and as we look onward, we see he, he knows all this because he had sent Timothy to go get a report, to encourage them in the faith and bring back a report, and Timothy brought back a great report. The Thessalonians were standing strong and doing great. As we close, what is God's Spirit saying to you today? How has your current perspectives changed over the course of the last 60 minutes or even during worship today? In what ways is God encouraging you and in what ways is he challenging you? And as um, music begins to play here, um, let's spend about 30 to 60 seconds in, in quietness right now and maybe it's a chance for you to write some things down as God impresses them on your heart or your mind. And then at the conclusion of that, um, I'll say a prayer. Thank you, God, for your big love for your people. Thank you, God, for your word, Lord. We can look right in history and see who was doing what, what you were doing, what you were accomplishing, Lord, in people, in communities, in churches, how you were using Paul in such a powerful way. How were you sustaining the Thessalonian church as they were imitators, Lord, of uh, your true church? Thank you, God, for this morning. Thank you for your spirit and your word. Jesus, we give ourselves to you today. Fill us, Lord, with your thoughts, your ways, your passions, Lord. 
Oh, give us a good idea, Lord. Put a good idea or two in our mind, Lord, for the week. Some things to work toward or focus on. Strengthen our hands, Lord. We might do the good works you prepared for us. God bless you today. And if you have to go, have a great week. Walk in the spirit of Christ. And uh, if you're able to stay and linger, we're going to play that song again. Jesus is the key. And um, praise God. God's doing good stuff. Have a good one.